Every year in March, there is a pilgrimage to Austin, Texas, for a gathering of some of the most creative, innovative, and cutting-edge minds in the world. I'm talking, of course, about South by Southwest EDU. We can't wait for the world-class keynotes, the captivating design sessions, and the amazing connections that we make every year. Will we be seeing you there? Register today at the link in the show notes. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Shawnee Carruthers, and today I am joined by Janae Henry-Wood, a partner at Transcend Education, and David Nitkin, also a partner at Transcend. David and Janae recently worked on an initiative called Conversations with Kids, a research project and culminating paper that analyzed data from 20,000 plus students who participated in Transcend's LEAPS student voice surveys and focus group. Tons of outstanding things were identified as a result, and I cannot wait to talk about it. David, Janae, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. We've had the opportunity to chat to small groups, but never such a big podcast audience. And so David and I, we're, we're, we're here to have a blast. So thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for hosting. I also got to say, I love listening to the podcast. So I feel like, you know, first time, long time. I, I'm excited to get to be on the other side of the mic. It's a thrill. Well, David, since you said the kind thing, we'll start with you first. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known better. Well, yeah, there you go. You say something great and then you get the reward. But I want to talk about students because this is what this whole thing is all about. Like you all talked to 20,000 of them. So you all have some great insights that we can't wait to just like uncover. But I want to talk about meaningful things that happen in the student's day. So where do students find their school day is most meaningful, like directly out of the mouths of kids? What are they saying? Hmm. I appreciate that question. I mean, for us at Transcend, so we're a national nonprofit and we support communities to redesign the core structures of school to create more equitable and extraordinary experiences for young people. And when we work with communities, the first step is, well, let's actually ask young people about what your current experiences are like, right? Because nobody is more of an expert in a student's experience than themselves. And so let's go talk to them about what's working for you, what's not working, how does it feel to be a young person in this learning environment right now? And so when we talked to over 20,000 young people in the last school year and asked them about their experiences, what they told us is that there are places in their day where they have experiences where they get to get, make meaningful choices that feel highly relevant to them, um, where they get to have strong relationships. But they said often those places are not inside core academics. They're extracurriculars. They're sports teams. They're electives. They're drama. Um, they're not typically in you know, core academics like English or math or science, they can often feel more rote or feel more like passive compliance rather than active self-direction. And so typically when we work with communities to go through that kind of learning experience, it provokes a question for them about how do we create more of those kinds of experiences inside core academics. What does it mean for something to be meaningful for a student? Like when you're saying they're finding it elsewhere, what are they looking at? Like what, what is being identified as a meaningful experience? And because they know they're not getting it in the core, but they know they're getting it here. What, what is it? What is the thing? Mm. So we'll ask them questions like, um, in this part of your day, do you get to learn about things that you're interested in? Or do you get to have a say about what happens to you? Or is what you're learning in this time connected to life outside of what happens in school? And we think that those kind of questions are important for two reasons. 
Number one, because all of the science around learning and development tells us that if young people are having experiences that feel relevant, that they're passionate about, where they get to make meaningful choices, that's highly predictive of learning outcomes. And we actually saw that even in our research. We saw that when students said that they got to make those choices and it felt relevant and felt rigorous, they were 67% more likely to say that they learn a lot in school. But we think that those kinds of experiences are important, not just as predictors of something that happens later, but actually as a value in and of their own right. Every human being in this world deserves to have meaningful choices about how they spend their time. Every single human being in this world deserves to be doing something that matters to them, right? And like young people, students in school are human beings that deserve those kinds of experiences just like anybody else. Uh, and so that's part of the reason that we are so passionate about these conversations with kids. Yeah. And I'll jump in on that, David, because David gets really excited about what every human, as you can hear, like what every human deserves. And that is so powerful to me. And I think it undergirds something um, unspoken that we should make explicit here is that part of what we're saying is that the school day, young people deserve to learn in ways that are going to cultivate them, to learn in ways that the world is going to expect them to show up, and that school is a profoundly important place to practice what that means. And so part of why, you know, we really focus on what are those meaningful experiences? What are things that you enjoy? What are things that get you up in the morning? All of those things is because um, young people's environments, we've learned, deserve to like reflect the kind of world that we want to be true and school is a profoundly important place to practice. It is not just a place to perform where you show up, you get reading, writing, arithmetic, take a test, walk out the door. Did you perform? Yes or no. It's really a place to practice and say, what was I, what was I great at today? Um, what was I not so great at today? Where do I want to grow? And so part of conversations with kids, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, is to get our schools, to get our educators, many of whom, some of the very best that we've seen, sort of naturally orient in this way, but to get our schools, um, to get our teachers, to get our educators thinking more soundly about how do I evoke and ask young people um, more about their experiences? How do I elicit their voices more? Um, and we think school is a profound place to, to be practicing that. So I just wanted to jump in on David's excitement because it got me excited. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. It's, you know, I'm really in, intrigued by all the things you all are saying. And David, you mentioned agency and then, you know, you mentioned talking about practice. And I think that, you know, sometimes we as adults, we don't even sometimes know what to do with agency when we have it because we are so used to kind of like doing things in a very structured way. And we don't really have that framework of when you do have agency and you can kind of craft what your your day looks like or your experience looks like. You don't always know how to do it, but you all are doing it or have done it simply through the very basic step of just listening. Um, and because, Janae, you were talking about practicing and listening. And so... Janae, why is it truly important to listen to kids? Like, why does that really matter? We talk about it. We say it. We like student centered. We yell it. Like, let's get student voice. And then we <laughs> rarely talk to students. Always, so, always. right. So why does listening matter? I love this question. So what I'm going to do, I promise I'm going to answer, and this is not like a long-winded way. I promise I'll get there. But I'm going to actually take us back in time a little bit um, because I think that 
you know, in the education sector, we all talked about it at the time, and I think we talked about it during, but we all knew that during COVID, something profound was happening, that we were in a profound learning experience, and we were able to see sort of two things happening. On the one hand, we were able to see some of the genius and brilliance of our school system. We saw adults going out of their way to make sure kids had food, to make sure they had Wi-Fi, to make sure they had packets. We saw truly, truly educators with some of the biggest, most wonderful hearts, and they like were doing what they needed to do for their young people. On the other hand, COVID also laid bare some of the things that we, you know, and I'm sure listeners to this podcast know, are things that have been broken in our schools for a really long time. For the first time in a long time, you know, parents were able to see what was going on in science class in their living room. And in many ways, they were not deeply impressed by what they saw. And neither were young people. And they've been telling telling us this for a really long time. So I want to bring us back, you know, almost two years. When we started dreaming up and really thinking about student voice and thinking, what are the most important things and important lessons we need to be getting out in this COVID moment? Empathy is a really important skill that we work on at Transcend. We work on it with our own people. We want our own people to work on it with their partner schools and communities that David mentioned. And empathy starts with this like radical notion of, I might not be in your shoes, but I am going to sit across from you. I'm going to deeply listen to you. And I'm going to try to understand from your perspective what your experience might be. And we have found in so many conversations about school, often the last people that you ask about how things are going, what should be different, what would they like to see, are the people experiencing it themselves. And we know from good habits of design that many of us have learned, there are so many wonderful frameworks that are teaching us how to do this well, but you have to start with the actual end user in mind. So in our work, when we are taking communities through this journey to reimagine their learning experiences, you got to actually really know, as David mentioned, what are the current experiences that young people are having? During this COVID period, when we came out with this um, report and our data results, we had already experienced one full year of COVID. So we were coming in um, in our second full school year of COVID. And and if, if we can all remember and go back to that time, as traumatic as I know it was for many, truly, Um, sometimes you would wake up and your kid wouldn't have school or they would have school or half the teachers in the building were sick or there were lots of different things going on in that time. And we were also seeing really disturbing news reports about the mental health challenges that young folks had experienced now as we were getting into that second year, where many of them were not in spaces where they could see their friends. Many of them were not in spaces where sometimes they would be around the adults that cared for them, the adults that mattered. We were seeing drops in nutrition, the reading and math drops, which of course we've seen. So there were lots of different things that were happening in that time. And we asked ourselves, what is absolutely core to design 
And what's core to design, to reimagining any kind of environment, is what do the people who are going to experience it, what are their experiences, what do they know, what do they care about? And so when you ask, like, why is it important to talk to young people? Because the conversation about how to advance schooling can't happen if students are not also at the table, because they're the ones that we're trying to make this change for. They're the ones who are living out in the world and who are seeing so many more dynamics than they think that, that we think they're seeing. And we need to have um, a school design that is reflective. Now, a pushback that we've heard, you know, from some folks is, isn't that just overweighting? Like, do young people actually know what they need? Like, isn't that a part of being an adult? Part of being an adult is when you're a kid, you think you know everything. And then you grow up, you go to college, you're 19, you're 21, you got to pay your first bill and you realize you know zero things. True. We have all been through that. And so I want to clarify for everyone listening, because there is a nuance here. What we are saying is, is that student voice has been completely left from the table and they deserve a chair, a fork, a drink, a plate, okay, at this table. It doesn't mean that their voice is the only voice that matters or is ultimately in every instance determinative. What it means is that they deserve to be part of the conversation in fundamentally new ways than they have been before. And so I want to make that nuance because as you get into the work, oftentimes you will hear folks say, David has, for the audience, David has an adorable cat behind him and it was wonderful. And you are the avuncular professor of my dreams, David Nitkin. That was amazing. Um, And so oftentimes people will get into a place where they say, well, if we listen to students, that means we can't care what educators know. Or if we listen to students, that means we can't care about, you know, what parents care about and what they know. And I think what we're trying to push people to do is to have a slightly more complicated discussion where we're holding multiple perspectives and asking and designing together what could be different, what needs to change. And before I pivot to Dave, I'm going to ask you just one additional question about this. And you laid it all out to some degree um, because I do wonder, because since everyone in education totally understands that students' voices matter, but very few in education really bring it to the table or give them a fork or spoon or whatever you say in, in, in a really intentional way. Is it because they, they don't really think that students know what they want or is it because it takes time and they don't, and people don't always want to invest that time? Like, why do we all understand that it's fundamentally important, but we either rarely do it or we do it to such a low degree that it isn't effective? Ooh, that's a great question, Shawnee. David, to the extent to which this is a podcast where we can chat with each other, I want to hear also how David and I, how much we're aligned on this. Um, you are naming the knowing doing gap, which is just such a, such a big and important thing. So I would say there's a couple of different dynamics that are going on here. And I would never want to like, you know, in an armchair, I'm literally sitting in an armchair, in an armchair psychologist way, like overextend or overanalyze what I think is going on. So I'll say this with the grain of humility of like, I'm sitting at it, I'm looking at it. You know, you ask the question, here's what I see. I think the first thing is understanding, first thing is like having the time. And this is something that we don't often think about. People just don't always know what is on the plates of educators. Um, I am, my husband, you know, taught for many years. He works as a DSO, a director of school operations in a school. Teachers get there sometimes at 625. 
They teach, they have to let kids in. They teach, 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 teach. They might have 10 or 15 minutes, maybe for lunch, or they probably have lunch duty. They're going back, doing a whole nother round of classes. They're dealing with this thing and that thing, responding to this email, doing this attendance report, going from class to class. So I think the first thing we got to think of is just practically, why isn't this happening? Is one like time. And what is in the school day and the way the school day is designed can legitimately and meaningfully limit what people are able to do, even when they know in their minds that it's important. So that's one like practical thing. The second thing I would think is going on is even once you get the knowledge, we don't always have the pipes in schools to do anything with that knowledge. So that's another reason that that knowing doing gap exists is like I could know, for instance, that six of my children say, you know what, like. I need physical activity during the day. Like after I do something really hard, I want to go run around the school building and just like explore. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Can't really do that for you because who is going to watch you for 20 minutes run around the school when we're all going back and forth in a bell set? You know what I'm saying? So that's another thing is sometimes the pipes don't even exist for us to do anything with the information. Then there might be a group of people who then might have as a fundamental mindset that they have to, you know, overcome. They might have in their minds, well, you're a young person and, you know, you don't know what you want yet and you've never paid a light bill and so you don't know. There might be some of that going on too. There might be mindsets. But by and large, I think what we have seen is exactly what you call out, Shawnee. People know this. It feels right intuitively. They feel it in their bones. But the design of school makes it really, really hard hard to even do something with what you know. David, do we agree on that or do we disagree? No, we totally agree. And I'll I'll share a little bit, like to double click on that. Part of the trap of the current design of school is it's so inefficient and it's so much a hundred year old design, right? That it takes all of our effort and all of our energy just to keep like the hamster wheel rolling that we don't have time to step back into research and development. And so the reason that Transcend exists in large part is to provide this extra capacity to help schools and communities do the R&D to rethink the traditional model of school. And when you look at other sectors of the economy, healthcare, 20 to 30% of all the spending on healthcare in any given year is on research and development. And in education, the equivalent figure is less than a quarter of 1%. It's like saying to a surgeon, like you're going to go in and you're going to conduct surgery all day, but then you're also going to be at night going to the lab and inventing the drugs that you're going to bring into the operating room the next day. And like, no wonder people are stressed and overwhelmed. And so we think that educators need resources, need supports, need capacity to help them do this work. And part of the reason that we created these tools like the Leap Student Voice Survey and the Conversation with Kids Guides is just try to make it a little bit easier so they don't need to invent everything themselves, but can have a little bit of extra support to give them that capacity to do this work. I'm curious, um, because you all have already shared so much, but I'm curious, David, as you Think about the LEAP study and um, the report that came from it. What were some of the key takeaways um, that you were able to glean? Um, Maybe that you haven't even shared yet, but what are some of the key takeaways from the study? Sure. So we shared one already around where the best experiences happen. They're often outside of core academics and in those extracurricular spaces. I mean, at a high level, most young people said that their experiences in school feel irrelevant to them and offer few opportunities for agency and choice. So only 31% of young people said that what they learn is connected to life outside the classroom. Only 35% said they get to learn about things they're interested in. Only 29% said that they have a say about what happens to them. And only 31% said that they can choose how to do their work. And 
we know that these matter both because they're predictive of outcomes, uh, but also just because they're important in their own right to students as human beings. I think something that we found that was incredibly hopeful and energizing for all of us was that adults said that this activity of listening to young people is dramatically helpful to us and increases our conviction and the necessity of rethinking the design of school. And also when educators and young people talk together, it's possible to then co-design experiences that make dramatic shifts in what it's like to be a young person in school. And I can tell a story to give an example of how that played out. Um, there's a community that we work with in North Dakota called Northern Cass, just amazing, like very rural community. Um, and they were interested as part of their design process in starting in grounding and understanding the experiences of young people. So they gave the LEAP student voice survey, they did focus groups, they did classroom observations and walkthroughs. Um, and what they found was that young people overwhelmingly told them our experiences don't feel relevant, doesn't feel like we get to make meaningful choices. At Northern Cass, only 34% of young people said, I get to learn about things I'm interested in. Only 28% said, I feel like I have a say about what happens to me. Um, and you know, the folks at Northern Cass, because they're just amazing, amazing educators and leaders, they said, you know what? We need to bring the kids back to debrief this data with us. And so they opened the doors and said, let's all look at this data together. Let's figure out adults and kids together. What does this make us think of what we want to do? And so young people wrote a case for change for their district. They then presented it to the community. Here's how school needs to be different. Kids and adults then sat down together and designed this new experience that they call studios, where young people get to choose what they want to learn about and how they're going to learn about it. Um, and so, for example, there was one young woman who said, you know what, I really want to design a course about female leadership throughout history, because that's what matters to me. And I don't see that attended to as much in the curriculum as I'd like it to be. Um, and students created lots of experiences like that, that they were passionate about, that were incredibly rigorous and aligned with standards, but where they had choice. And then they gave the LEAP student voice survey again. And what they found was that for those students who participated in that pilot experience, 100% of them said, in studios, I get to learn about things I'm interested in. 100% said, I'm learning a lot in those studios. 100% said, um, in those studios, I feel like I have a say about what happens to me. And so it's just an example of the way that listening to young people can be catalytic and can help not just lead to learning, but lead to real changes that improve young people's experiences. I love that. David, there's another piece of data that I love so much that you have talked about before. So it's going back to the first piece where we talk about which students have told us a lot of what I get, you know, when I get these wonderful experiences are outside of the main curriculum. And you've shared a little bit about how the main curriculum has also shifted in many schools and the implications along race and um, income lines. Can you can you share with share that with us? Yeah, definitely. I so young people said, you know, the experiences that I love most about school and where I feel like I'm learning the most are in extracurriculars, sports teams, drama, electives. But we also know, based on research that a lot of really talented folks have conducted, that since the 1970s, upper middle class students have become increasingly active in those kinds of experiences, while participation by lower income families has decreased. And that gap has expanded in parallel with rising income inequality, rising income inequality nationwide and also reflects the expansion of pay-to-play programs where a school might say, okay, great, we would love to have you on this sports team, but we don't have the funding to pay for the equipment. So we're gonna, it's gonna cost you X number of hundred dollars to be on the team. Um, and it illustrates the way that these broader social dynamics can lead to inequity in experiences for young people. Wow. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out which angle I want to dig in um, first because you said so many great things and I'm I'm going to circle back 
first to the the interests and students talking about I don't get to do the things that interest me and I want to ask a question. So just because the educators may not know what interests a student doesn't mean that they don't have a good relationship with the student. Um, may, does it just mean that they're not asking the right questions or because I, I want to make sure, you know, because lots of people say, oh, I have great relationships with kids and I, I know what they like. And but but maybe not necessarily to the point of really enriching the school day experience. So I just I want to maybe get some clarification around that first. You want me to take a stab at it, David, and then we'll see if we're aligned. Okay, so I think that like any relationship, we're now going to use inappropriate metaphors in this wonderful um, G-rated podcast. Thank you. (laughs) We're now going to use it in every relationship. You know, there is a spectrum of intimacy that you might go on, right? So, you know, Shawnee, we just met. I might say something like, "You have bomb fashion. Your hair looks great. Your eyeglasses are great." And the next person, I will say, (laughs) "I can verify." Shawnee has great style. She did it, right? That's really different than maybe if your cousin were to be here. What might she say about you? She might say something like, Shawnee's the first person you call when you're in trouble and you can't tell the adults. (laughs) Shawnee's the first person you call for advice. What might your partner say? They might say something deeper and different. What we're not advocating for is for teachers to get to that level. You know, we're not saying that those are all equivalent. But what we are saying is that there are just different levels of knowingness. And if you think you've got a great relationship with a young person, great. That's wonderful. If you think you've got a great relationship with them, start there and keep going. Um, Because if you keep going, there's real riches and rewards that come from deepening relationships. As we know in our, you know, other relationships that exist between our friends and our family. And so you could have a very good congenial relationship with a young person. And I would say, bravo to you. Keep going. Ask deeper questions. And then think about the ways in which you bring in what you know about them into what you ultimately do. And there are lots of different ways that we see educators doing that. But No, I, I completely agree with what you shared. Um, I think it's a great analogy. And I'll also say, looping back to something we were talking about earlier, um, part of it relates to what is the scope of change that an educator feels like they have the ability to enact in response to what they hear. Because if you are listening deeply and a young person says, you know what, this model of learning where everybody's learning the same thing at the same time and there's a textbook and I read what's in the textbook and then I take a test, that's not working for me and I need something different. And if that educator says, you know what, like I hear you, but like I can't actually change that, um, either because like the mindset's not there or sometimes there's broader ecosystem factors having to do with the school, having to do with the system, having to do with the policy that stops them from being able to, then it makes it harder for that deep trusting relationship to exist. Because then the young person is going to say, well, you know, I can tell you what I think, but like, what's this in service of? What's the point? We're both going to end up feeling frustrated. We're both going to end up feeling demoralized. And so it's listening to young people, but listening to people in service of a commitment to redesigning school, in service of saying, this model that we all grew up in and are in now was designed 100 years ago, right? And does not match what we now know about the science of learning and development and what young people need to be prepared for the future and is not grounded in an equitable vision where every single person deserves the opportunity to thrive. And so if you start from this expansive listening process of saying, no, I actually want to know how school could be different because 
I and my principal and my superintendent and the policy environment are actually ready to make some real changes, then the young person says, oh, okay, you really want to know what I think, right? Like, we're not just talking about like, I don't know, like the Yankees, like, okay, cool. Like, let's get real. Like, let's do it. Janae, I see you're like ready to say something. Jump in. Well, because you just always have such great points. And I just want to add to them. To add to something that you were saying, David, um, you know, in the first part of your, in the first part of your thought got me thinking about um, something that we haven't said that I think is really important. Often when we talk about changing school, people are assuming that the actor we're talking about is always a teacher. And David and I were both teachers. We were both special educators. Um, David taught in the Bronx. I taught in my hometown in Atlanta. And we know how that is. We were both teachers. And so what I want to say is conversations with kids is not just for teachers to be having, you know, individual conversations or for teachers to be, you know, submitting the survey just in their classes. We developed this tool so that the principal could do it. A superintendent can do it. The secretary to the superintendent can do it. Because we think, to David's excellent point, sometimes a teacher is not even able to change or to pull the lever of change that would be most impactful for their students. But if a teacher has that knowledge and the teacher's principal has that knowledge and the superintendent has that knowledge, and now you've got these like triangulated points across a, a young person's experience where people who are actually empowered that can make those changes, maybe your teacher can't go out for 15 minutes with you, but maybe the superintendent could give the school permission to build in some of those 15 minute activity blocks all of a sudden, you're in a very different ballgame of design. And so I would say that is also something that we are learning is that all of these changes cannot happen. All of this design cannot happen on the backs of teachers alone, although teachers are critical because they are front and center. They are with young people every day. They've got incredible, um, incredible long-term and important institutional knowledge, but they're not the only ones. And so um, it's important when we think about conversations with kids to not just have the schema that it's like one big-hearted teacher doing this. We want the big-hearted superintendent, the big-hearted superintendent's whole leadership team. Everyone in a school district or CMO can be participating in this and everyone can ultimately use that information in some way. And Janae, I'm glad that you brought those different touch points up because that's what I was wondering about, like how schools are making use of the conversation guide and um, that follow this initiative. So I want you to like talk me through how people are using it and what sort of professional development and professional learning is taking place. And then um, I'm going to ask a two or threefold question. And then I also, because as I'm listening, I'm I'm thinking about... um, I was recently at Paul Quinn College in Dallas, Texas, and their model is is we and then over me. So we before me and talking about how we put the needs of our community before we put the needs of ourselves. And so I also want to know from you all's perspective how this initiative, this report um, will also impact their community, not just inside the school, but outside of the school. So lots of questions, but Janae, I'll I'll start with you about the conversation guide and the professional learning that's surrounding it. Great. And David could speak if you want a little bit more of a double quick into one district in Ohio that's like really using this in a big way. So we've got one district partner um, in Ohio that w- that saw this thing and they've got a fired up, incredible superintendent who is just all about it, super oriented and said, I want every child in my district to take this. This is incredible. 
And so through some very intentional work that David and his team have done um, with this district, we've actually been able to administer this survey to lots of different classrooms across. I believe, David, you're doing two or three different administrations of it. And yeah, two or three different administrations, and then working with that leadership team um, to debrief it because it's not just the information. Remember that knowing doing gap? Part of what we are trying to do as a research and development entity in the field is really help people say, we've got some good data skills and education that we've garnered over a long time. How do we actually take what we know and convert that into very practical things that we do? And so David and his team are working very closely with that district. So that is what we would describe. David, in our framework, would you describe that as like the satellite use of the data or the map use of the data? I think it's a, there's a combination. I think it's being used in both ways. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, because I think in this particular district that we partnered with, um, they had a really ambitious, really exciting transformation plan, particularly for their middle schools. And they knew that they wanted to change the kinds of instructional experiences that young people were having in classrooms to make it feel much more rigorous, to make it feel much more relevant. They had this really fantastic um, program for getting people out of the four walls of a school and out into nonprofits to learn from what do these folks actually do all day who are pursuing things around animal welfare or environmental protection that I might see myself doing. And then how does that connect to what I'm learning in the classroom? Um, but what they didn't have in place when we got there was the full um, measurement plan to understand, okay, we're going to do these activities, but is it changing young people's experiences? Is it getting better? Um, they had the academic outcomes piece, but academic outcomes are a lagging indicator. And academic outcomes in literacy math only measure a piece of what we all aspire schools to create for young people. And so they were really excited about this Sleep Student Voice Survey because it allowed them to have a more near-term measure to say, all right, we got young people out into the community to learn from real world people about what they do all day long and then to think about the kind of skills they need to be building back inside school to help get them ready for those jobs. Like, hey, young people, did that, did, did that feel rigorous to you? Did that feel relevant to you? Did that feel exciting to you? Did that give you more passion about what you're doing? Um, and so being able to have that tool as sort of like a, an interim formative measure for their transformation plan was really exciting to them. And to Janae's point about the satellite versus map data, they used it both at the very high satellite satellite level where the superintendent is looking at it with the assistant superintendent principals, but then they're also looking at it at the map level and even leading into the street level, right? Where principals are looking at it together with school level coaches. Um, just this uh, recently, they had a professional development day where principals were looking at it, teachers, and it was making them think, oh, what do you see in this data that makes you curious? And then how are you then going to go have a conversation with students to complexify or to go deeper or to validate what we see in this survey data. Um, so we saw that it was really catalytic at every level of that system. Great. So to give a couple more examples, thank you, David, for just like expounding on that so beautifully. And then there's a couple of other examples where we have, um, I'll take it a little bit lower, where we have individual educators who are saying, you know, maybe my school is not quite yet on a journey, uh, you know, to, to do any of this, but I am really fired up about these questions. I'm really fired up about knowing how, you know, what is going on. Um, if I were to ask young people in my classroom, one of our questions is, who loves you at school and how do you know? And so we're finding that individual teachers are using things like that as do now prompts, simply to get some like day-to-day -day beginning um, ticket, exit tickets, or beginning do nows, you know, from their young people. So that's one way. 
The next thing to know is that we built both a conversation guide and a survey so that you could have two kinds of data interacting with each other, which we thought was really important. Um, the, 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 the data, the, the survey rather, gives you really great um, quantitative data so you can really see trends. What kinds of students say that relevance it, you know, is really popping or, or uh, which groups of students believe that high expectations uh, uh, matter to them or matter for them versus other kinds of students. Students. It really helps you see that. But then you can also have small group conversations. We developed a 20-question guide. You can pull in two or three children, have lunch with them if you are a principal, if you're a superintendent, pull them aside, have lunch with them for 30 or 40 minutes, and really have a deep conversation using this conversation guide. And then finally, we created some reflection tools. So once um, the adults have done this process, we created a tool for them to reflect in small groups and say, what did we hear um, about relevance? What did we hear about our community? What does it make us want to go do? So there are lots of different things, as David's saying, that we, that can be done at that wonderful big satellite level. But there are also things that people are changing that we're seeing across our communities on a day-to-day -day level based on their use of just saying, I'm going to listen to five children today, and I'm just going to continue to do that process. Listen, respond, listen, respond. Um, and that really is, I think, the mindset and spirit um, that we think should be at the heart of school. Yeah, I love that. It's not just teachers and administrators listen to the students. It's like now they're all listening to each other. It's like this beautiful, you know, like holistic effect um, that's happening. I, I do have one last question and it's around um, equity. And because I know that in these conversations, probably a lot of that surface about things that maybe are more inequitable or maybe more equitable um, than, than we saw. But I, I want to know from the students' perspectives, uh, what do they see as our biggest equity challenge? Mm, I love that question. I mean, I'll share something that we saw in the data that really stood out to us. Um, in some of the communities that we work with, we also invited adults to take the survey. And we um, invited them to take it from the lens of, what do you predict that young people will say? Um, and we found that in almost all areas, adults overestimated what young people would say. So adults said, yeah, I, I think they'll say it feels pretty relevant to them. And young people were like, no, nah, it's not that relevant. Adults were like, yeah, I think they'll say that like, they feel like they get to build relationships and build community. Because they're like, no, we feel very isolated. Um, there's one area where adults actually underestimated um, what kids would say. And it was the questions having to do with social consciousness and action. So the question, you know, in school, we take action to fix problems in society, such as racism and discrimination. 27% of adults said, yeah, I think kids will agree with that. Fully 50% of kids said, yeah, we agree with that. Question in school, we learned about racism in the United States. It's a 20 point gap of adults underestimating what kids would say. And so this is very much a political live topic right now, right? Should we be talking about racism in school? Should we be talking about social justice in school? And what young people are telling us is like, we're doing it anyway. Like whether adults say we should or not, like this matters to us. We are passionate about this. And we actually found that those student responses were equivalent across racial and ethnic groups. So there was not a difference in the degree to which students cared about this and were passionate about it and were talking about it based on the identity factors that students chose from a racial ethnic perspective, um, which we found both like really interesting and also we thought energizing and inspiring. 
Uh, that gives me all the hope, David. That's that's really great. That and I mean, I, and I kind of felt like that was the vibe, right? That this generation was just kind of a take charge. We're we're gonna go out and fix all of the things, and we're going to just love everyone as a human. And and so it's really great to to hear the data surrounding that. But just more importantly, just I just want to thank you all, both Janae and and David, for joining me today to talk about the conversations with kids and like you all have just really articulated very well is it's so critical it's 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 not easy but it's also not hard but it's it's very necessary um and so and and what that does for a community uh, both in school and outside of school and and how it can truly make students feel connected to becoming a lifelong learner because as you all have stated learning happens outside school all the time in those extracurricular spaces. So just thank you for enlightening us with the information. Uh, We can't wait to dig into the report a little bit deeper, but just want to continue everyone to just go listen to students, go talk to kids and have those conversations. So can I share one more thing? Do we have time? It's okay. Part of our mission is to help democratize these tools for as many communities as possible. So if anything that you heard makes you say, hmm, I'd like to use this conversation guide that Janae was describing, like I'd like to use this survey in the show notes, we're going to include information about how you can access those things, because we would love to make these available to you and make it easier for more educators and leaders and people surrounding schools to have these kind of conversations. Again, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.